Good morning, everyone. I haven't, you guys are sleeping already. Good morning, everyone. We um, are going to be in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 this morning. So if you open up your, your Bibles there, I know it's a very familiar passage to a lot of us, and I've actually preached on it before, um, but we're going to be taking a different approach to it. Uh, so turn there while I speak. We're going to be reading it in a few moments. We live in a world of anxiety, um, just as some of you are anxious about what time we're going to finish this morning, because uh, we've been going for some time already. But we, we live in a world of anxiety, and uh, there are quite a lot of reasons for it. Uh, in our country and in the world around us, we have economic crisis that's going on, con- constantly fluctuating the exchange rate, which affects the, the way our food, how much it costs to travel, to get petrol. We're constantly feeling it. Um, there's anxiety in, in crime and, and safety, and not so much in South Africa, but around the world, there's a, there's a sense of anxiety around terrorism, and are we always ever really safe. There's anxiety around moral upheaval, and particularly in our country this year, as every year when it's an election year, there's, a, there's an anxiety around politics, as po- politicians play politics with our lives. And so there's a sense of, of worry. And uh, quite frankly, we as Christians aren't immune to this. We have this tendency to be anxious ourselves and to worry. You just have to, uh, as I do, speak to older, mature Christians who have walked with the Lord for many years. And just in the conversations that I have with them and just in the uh, times that I hear them speak, there is even in, in mature Christians who have been with the Lord for a long time a, a sense of hopelessness in the way we speak. There's a sense of hopelessness about the world and the moral state and, and, the, and the current uh, country that we find ourselves in, hopelessness. Not, but not so much even just with older folk, younger people as well. Guys that matriculate, their sense of concern and anxiety and worry about the future. Am I going to find a job? Am I ever going to be able to afford a house to be able to look after a family? There is worry that takes place. And there must be something said um, about the fact that as we, as Christians, look around the world and, and look at our country and we see the brokenness of it, we see the sinfulness of it, and we see how, how much it's hurting, that it's okay for us as Christians to be sad. Well, I mean, remember in, in um, uh, Matthew 5, on the second Beatitudes, what is it? Blessed are those who mourn. And, and now while this is a state of mourning for uh, our own uh, state before God, that we, we realize we're sinful, we realize our own brokenness, and we mourn because of that, but there's also a, a mourning because as we look around the world and we see how hopeless they are, our heart breaks for them. John Stott says that there are such things as Christian tears, and it's good. He says this. He says, the, the truth is there are such thing, uh, things as Christian tears, and too few of us ever weep them. And there's a need for us, as we look around and we see the brokenness of this world, to mourn for it, to be saddened by its hurted, how much it's hurting and how, and how sinful it is. But this is only good church. This is only a good state for us to be in if, we, if it is accompanied by us holding the hope that we have in Christ. 
So it's a good thing for us to be uh, mourn the state of the world and go, man, this is a shocking state that we find it in, but it needs to be accompanied by this hope that we have in Jesus. You can't separate the two. It needs to be joined together. And so the challenge is we look at it, and man, we accompany it with Christ. So that when we see the darkness of the world, we are hopeful that the light of the world, Jesus Christ, is able to come and bring light into the situation. That when we see the brokenness of the world, that we know that God is the one that binds up the brokenhearted. That when they are hopeless, He is their hope. When they lack love and need to be loved, but the world will not love them, that Christ is the one that loves those that the world does not love. This is the hope that we hold to and what we get excited about in the gospel. This is what we have. So church, there is this need for us to guard ourselves against pessimism. To guard ourselves against this idea that this world is in in a state in which it can never be in repair. Because if we think that the world is beyond repair, that there is no hope for it, what happens is we become defensive. We look at how big and how bad it all looks around us, and what we start to do is we become defensive. We we become defensive in our thinking, and what that means is we start to hold on to what we have. We look around, and go, man, this is good. Let's watch it. Keep it away from the world. Make sure it takes none of it, and we become defensive, and what starts to happen is we start to maintain, and that's not what we're called to do as a church. We're not called to maintain. We're called to be on mission. We're called to go out. We are not men and women that are called to hold on to what we have, but we are men and women that are called to go gain much for the kingdom of God. And so we have to guard against pessimism, but rather hold on to the hope that we have in Christ and let it build excitement in our hearts, knowing that we are called for much, that we are called to do much for the kingdom. And the hope that we have is Jesus, and he is able and will go out and bring light into a dark world. But that is easier said than done, right? And how, so how do we live a life of faith in this world and not a life of fear? So that's, that's what we're going to be answering this morning. How do we do that? How do we live a life of faith and not a life of fear in such a dark world and a world of anxiety? Let's look at Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who with the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The first little passage in in a little section that we're going to be speaking about is that first statement. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness. What stirs up faith in a, a world that is dark amongst believers is to realize, and this is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here, is that you are not alone. We we aren't alone. We are together. And while I know it sometimes it feels like uh, we're alone, we just have to listen to the news and go onto social media. And sometimes it's, what we see is that Christianity is attacked a lot. 
just mocked and ridiculed. And, and in those moments, we can feel alone. We can feel alone as we see the coarsening of culture and we feel it. We, we see that moral decay and character getting worse and we feel like what we hold to and what we believe is so vastly different to what the majority believe and we can start to feel alone. And, and in those moments, what happens is we feel surrounded, embattled and surrounded by enemies. But the writer of Hebrews here this morning says, Yes, we are surrounded, but not by culture or by enemies, but by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, this can mean three, three things. Well, we're going to look at it in three different ways. The first way in which it talks about is we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses is that we are able to look back over the course of history and see saints who struggled against culture, who struggled against society that was dark, and they brought in the hope of the world, they brought in the light, and they were successful. They were able to hold on to this hope that we have in Jesus and be able to make a big splash into a culture that was against them. Because the hope that they held to was one in which was Christ. And so this is important for us because as we go through hardship, sometimes we can feel like, man, what we are facing has never been faced before. But what we do is when we look over the course of history, we see that the gospel was successful, that the gospel is timeless. And so that we can hold on to that knowing that though we are called to do much, there's a good track record of it achieving much in this world. So we can, look at, we can look in Scripture and we see the Old Testament. This is particularly speaking about Hebrews 11 and all the saints. And we can just see in amazing great men and women who did stuff for the kingdom of God in Hebrews 11. And they had faith in God against all the odds. I mean, just look at Noah against all the odds. Yet God came through. David against all the odds. Gideon against all the odds was able to come through. Why? Because he held to what God had called him to and was faithful to it and was successful. Church, we're against all the odds. But the hope that we have is Christ and he is able to do what he has called us to do. The second way in which we, we can look at this is that we can realize that we aren't alone now. We had the wonderful privilege of having someone from Advance uh, come and speak to the eldership and, um, and, uh, and our staff. They're from Common Ground in, in Cape Town, a guy named Ryan. I can't pretend to pronounce his surname, it's, so I'm just going to ignore it. But uh, he came down and he was sharing with us some of the portfolios and things that he does. And, and one of the things that he does is oversee parts of Advance. And he just mentioned how many churches, in, which is a new movement, how many churches there are. He mentioned there are four continents in which we find us uh, advanced in, and there are 45 uh, 35 churches in India, Nepal, and one in Japan, I think, in Australia, who are preaching the gospel faithfully. We find 20, uh, 20 in, in Europe, we found 20 in North America, and 45 in Southern Africa, with the majority of them in South Africa. And these are men and women who hold to the gospel, who want to make Christ known, who want to preach Jesus and see the lost saved. And so while we might look around and go, man, we feel alone. The world seems dark. How are we ever going to take it on? We're not alone. There are men and women that God has raised up faithfully who are doing the work that we are also called to do. 
And we can take courage by that. And it's this this wonderful thing in which we know God is doing something, particularly in our country. And we can be sure that he will use us as well. We are not alone in this fight. But we can also look at this passage and realize that we aren't alone as individuals, but rather we are one church. You and I are together in this. That's incredible. We, we are called to take on Sunny Ridge, but just not Mark. Not just Pete. You know, we, we are called to take it on together. And so the, the beauty that we have is that here in this church, it embodies everything in which we long for. One of the frustrations about the world is, man, they don't live like they should. They don't live and hold to the ideals in which we hold to. We don't, they don't hold to the morals in which Scripture talks about, and it's frustrating, it's, it's hard to live in, but the beauty of the church is we find like-minded people that believe in the same thing. And so the, the thing is, you get to go out into the world, and you get to struggle and fight, but you get to come back to a community of people who are able to encourage you, who are able to love you, who are able to be alongside you and strengthen you because we hold the same stuff. We hold to the same thing. We have the same mission and the same plan. And this is very important for us as a church that we make sure that we embody the love of Christ. So, and we embody the hope in which we preach. We embody the joy in which we talk about. It's important that we do that because when the broken world looks inwards, what do they see? They see exactly what we've been preaching. They see exactly what they've been looking for. And they know that we not just talk, but rather there is love and action that takes place. As an individual by yourself, you will be weak and weary about the world. But together we are so much stronger. That's why we want to focus on building committed community. Because the community of God is so much stronger and can do so much more for his glory than the individual by himself. We are together, we are strong. And so we need to remember as individuals, we can stand firm because we have the saints that are standing behind us, cheering us on. We have Christ alongside us, we have the Holy Spirit in us, and we have the church behind us. Be encouraged, no, take heart. We are not alone against the struggle. Let's look at the, the, the second thing. It goes on to say, let us also... Uh, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. We spoke about briefly about this last week. I had no idea I was going to preach again on, on this section. But last week we, we mentioned the fact that in order to draw near to Christ, there's this necess- necessity in us to be able to lay aside our sin. Sin always hinders our relationship with God. We also spoke about the fact that there were struggles, that there are things that um, aren't necessarily beneficial, aren't sinful, but aren't necessarily beneficial to the race in which we are caught to run. And we are to to lay those things aside. But this morning, what I want to talk about briefly on that section there is that Sin and struggle, the things that hinder us, they should not define us. Our sins of the past, our present struggles that should not define us, what should define us is our running. What should define us is that we are runners. 
that we are people who run for the glory of Christ, that we have this future hope that we hold to. We have this hope that we have and we live in that, not live in our past sins, not live in the current struggles. Man, we, we toss those things aside. We, we lay them off. But rather what defines us is that we run for the glory of Christ, reaching the, the city for Jesus as he has called us to do. But I want to speak this morning on some of those things that do hinder us, some of those sins, particularly in order that we might be a greater light in a dark world. And the first, one of the first ones that I want to focus on this morning is, and there's two, I want to speak about grumbling and worrying. I'm going to talk about grumbling as one of the sins that stop us from being a bright light in a, in, in a dark world. Let's look at uh, Philippians 2, verses, um, verses 12, and, and a little bit more. It says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, uh, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here it comes do all things without grumbling. This is an incredible statement here. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God is doing an amazing work in you. So figure out the salvation you have, figure it out, apply it to your life and because God is doing a work in your life. So make sure you apply the salvation you have now received to your life that you have. And the first instruction that he comes after that is do not grumble. Do not grumble. I, I'm blown away by that would be his first instruction. Grumbling is the first instruction that he says in whether we, how we should apply our life, our salvation to our lives and, and to work it out. It's very strange to me. But why would Paul go to grumbling? I think Paul has a generation in mind, an Israelite generation in mind when he talks about grumbling. You, you will remember this generation. If you're not even a churchgoer, you probably would know the story the, uh, the Israelites have been enslaved to the Egyptians for 400 years. They cry out to God. They ask for help. What God does is he sends along and raises up a leader named uh, Moses. You remember the story? Moses comes along, says to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says no. And so God starts to send plagues. And every time he sends a plague, Moses would go back and say, let my people go. And guess what he would, Pharaoh would say? It would be no. Nine times this happens to one time God will come to him and say to Moses, tell the Israelites to get ready for tomorrow you're going. Pharaoh is going to let you go. And I am going to send the angel of death and he's going to come and he's going to kill every firstborn. And in order for this to happen to you, what you need to do is you need to have a, a sacrificial lamb and you're going to take this pure spotless lamb and you're going to take his blood and you're going to cover, cover it on the doorposts. And when that happens, the angel of death is going to come over that night and every doorpost that is on is going to avoid, but every other one he won't. That doesn't have that he won't. And Egypt is woken up the next morning with morning. And the, the, the Israelites get out. They go through the Red Sea, which is a whole other story in itself, and they make it into the wilderness on their way to the promised land, which God is going to give them. And it's not a few days after being liberated from 400 years of slavery onto this new land that God says he's going to give them that they start to grumble. They start to moan, you've led us out here to die. 
It would be better that we go back to Egypt and they start to grumble. One of the biggest sins that they do is they are a grumbling nation. And Paul, I think, realizes that the church of Philippi is in a very similar situation. They have just been liberated from slavery. Slavery from what? From sin. The the Passover lamb, the Passover lamb, Jesus, has just shed his blood for them so that they might be set free from the slavery of sin. And while they are on their way to the promised land, which which is the coming of the kingdom, while they wait for that, they're in the wilderness, Paul realizes that there's a good chance that they may start to grumble and to moan and not be a people of gratitude. And he realizes this, that there's a good chance that their grumbling, what their grumbling is going to do, is not dim their light in a very dark world. That the church of Philippi won't be a city set on a hill in a very dark world. Why? Because if all of us are honest this morning, there's nothing attractive about grumbling, is there? There's nothing appealing about it. There isn't. And if the church, the church of Philippi is going, oh, life is hard. Look at how this is happening to me. This is awful. I, I can't do this. Uh, oh, but by the way, we have Jesus. He gives us joy. And the world looks out, dark world, and goes, really? I don't want to be a part of that grumbling. That doesn't look fun at all. There's nothing there that I desire. Grumbling is never attractive to the dark world. And if we are going to be a a church that is a light to the world, we can't be a bunch of complainers. But rather, we've got to be grateful to God and what He has given us. He's given us Christ. He's given us joy, and we're meant to live it and display it. Because if we're honest to ourselves, we cannot joyfully and excitedly go share the gospel to the people that we complain about, can we? No. And so one of the, the weights in which we have to lay aside in order for us to be a church that is bright and shining in a dark world is we need to stop grumbling because faithfulness starts with gratitude, not grumbling. We've got to be grateful. Christ has saved us. He has given us hope. He's given us a joy that is beyond our situations. And that needs to be evident. So as the, church, the world looks in, they see that. They see this light of joy and hope and love and peace that we experience. Not the grumbling in which we have. Lay aside grumbling. I can see a lot of wives elbowing their husbands at the moment. Don't grumble. The second one is this, lay aside worry, anxiety, don't worry. Philippians 5, later on, Philippians 4, verse 5 to 7, Paul says this, the Lord is at hand, this is it, the Lord is at hand, so therefore, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and, it, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One of the sins that we have to lay aside, church, is the idea, this thing of worrying. Paul warns us, don't go down the road of worry. Don't change the lane and get into it. Don't take the wrong turn. Do not worry, because worry dims our light in a world that is a world of anxiety. Dims our light doesn't mean we stand brightly. There's a guy named Michael Kelly. 
one of his, his oldest son uh, battled with leukemia. And he, obviously him and his family went through some real hardships and struggles like some of you have. And he knows what worrying's about. So when he talks about worrying, for a lot of us, it means we need to sit up and listen because what he has to say is important. He writes this. He, he writes this amazing statement. He says, when we live with a lack of anxiety about the future, even in those tight rope kind of times, we communicate the truth that our God is indeed worthy of our trust. We don't fret over the future because he holds it in his hands. We, we don't wring our hands in worry because we know that he's charting the course. That sort of confidence invites others into it. Man, when we realize that our God is with us, that the, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God who loved us, that he would come and die for us is with us. He, he has his, your life in his hands. He says he will look after you. He says he will be with you. He says he will make sure he will see it to the end of this race. We can be sure that we do not have to worry. And that kind of lack of worrying brings a peace that surpasses all understanding. And the world around us who's constantly fretting about what the politicians are doing, what the economy is doing, what people are doing, they worry about that because their hope is where? In politicians. Their hope is where? In their finances. Their hope is in man. And so they worry because man are fickle. Man do things that they should not do. But we don't worry. Why? Because where's our hope? It's in Christ. And he is sure and he is strong, and he is faithful, and he is loving, and we know that because we look at the cross and we see it. And so we do not worry, and we have a peace, and the world that is running around like headless chickens looks at us and goes, there's something different there. I want that. I have searched, and I have longed for it, and I've looked for it, but I cannot find it in man. I cannot find it in institutions. I cannot find it anywhere. What is it? It is Christ. I'll take it. But we have the tendency to worry. As I started up, we are, we are not different to anxiety. So what does Paul say when you start to worry? Do what? Pray. Pray. It's a Sunday school answer, but church, it is so simple and profound that when we start to worry, we run to our Father in heaven and say, yeah, this is yours. I can't do it, but you can do it. And we have a peace that the world longs for and is attracted to. Don't dwell on it. Don't run through it in your head. But every time you start to, which we do, lay it aside and pray to God and say, this is at your feet. Take it. Lay worry aside. And when we become a church that does not grumble about the hardships that we are going through and we do not grumble about what people are doing to us and we do not worry about our situations, we will be a bright light in this community because the world longs for that and we can show them that because we have the hope of Christ. We have it. We have it. Let's look at the last thing. I'm going to read the remainder of the two verses. It says this. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who with the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We are called to mission. 
That's what we are called to as individuals who are Christians. Individually, we are called to mission, but as a church, we are called to mission. And our mission is to know Christ and to make him known. Into a world that is lost, into a world that is broken, we are called to make him known. And I know as we look out and we drive down Settler's Way, as we stay in our homes and as we look around at our suburbs that we stay in, that there is a sense of hopelessness that can come across us. There really is. The world is seriously broken. There are some massive obstacles that we need to make sure that we overcome. And the, and the tendency is, because we are weary and tired as men, what's the point? We, we look at it as we go, that is, that is way too big for us to do. What is the point? Can we really do that? Now, now the problem with that kind of a mindset is, if you stand up at the starting blocks to run a race, and you see Usain's bolt next to you, and he's about to run the race, you go, I have no chance, and so you run it, but you don't really run it. Because you actually just want to admire how quick he's running. You're going to lose. And so you don't give it everything. If we have a mindset that we're going to lose, we do not give it everything. And so we need to change that mindset. So how do we do that? Well, let's look at an example. That same grumbling generation eventually arrives at the promised land in which God says he's going to give to them. He says, there's the promised land. Go and take it. It's yours. And so Moses gathers together 12 spies, one from each tribe of Israel, and he says to them, go in, spy it out, see the lay of the land, see how good it is, see how big the cities are and how fortified they are so that we can come up with a strategy on how we're going to go in there and take this land. So the 12 spies go in, they stay there for 40 days, and they come back and they are blown away by the land. It's incredible. It's a land of milk and honey. Man, the fruit's amazing. They had to carry between themselves a bunch of grapes between two men. That's how big the bunch was. They are blown away by it. But, oh, the people are strong. The cities are fortified. There are giants in the land. You see the mindset here. This is big. We can't go in. We can't. They will kill us. They will take us. We, we can't do this. The wrong mindset. But there's two of the ten spies. Two of the twelve. Joshua and Caleb. Because, no, no. God has given it to us. Let's go and take it now. Caleb says, let's go now. Let's, let's not wait. Let's just go in. Let's just go take it. And he, and he says this to the people. He, he says this, I love it. He says, if the Lord delights in us, he, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. That land flows with milk and honey. Uh, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. I love this. He says, for they are like bread to us. We're going to eat them up. Their protection is removed from them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. That's the mindset that we want. Church, we've just, Mark gave us a good description of what the Lord has called us to this year. God has called us to something big. He has. And I can't tell you it's going to be easy. It's not. We're going to face strong people. There are some fortified cities in which we are going to need to overcome. Man, there are giants in which need to be faced. But the Lord is at hand. He has given it to us. He has said, go and take it. I have given it to you. 
And we need to have the mindset like Caleb going, well, the Lord's with us. Oh man, let's go do it. He's given it to us. Let's take it for him. He says it's ours. And we have an opportunity here. We can be like the 10 or we can be like the two. And the two that say that they must go and take it are the only two in that whole generation that actually ever see it. Joshua and Caleb eventually lead the new generation of Israelites into their 40 years later. So how do we get that mindset of Caleb and Joshua? Look at, let's here read again what, that, what the author of Hebrews says. He says this, this is how we get it. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who was the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When we have got this massive task ahead of us, we need to look to Christ. Because in looking to Jesus, we see the one who's going to do it all. We see the one who's victorious. We look to Christ and what do we see? We see, um, we see the founder and perfecter of our faith who with the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised and the shame. He is the God that came and died for you out of love. He loves you. So while he's calling us to go and take it, man, we can trust him and be sure. Why? Because he loves us. He died for us so that we might know him. And he's saying, come, go get that. Surely it's for our benefit that we listen to him. Surely it's because of our goodness, for, for our good that we go and take what he has called us to go and take. How? Because he loves us. We know it. And he's not only the founder of faith, the one who gives us to us, he's the perfecter of it. He promises he will see us through to the end. He will sure us. He will keep us. He has suffered much that we might enjoy all that he has for us. And part of that, Sunny Ridge, is obeying the call that he has given us so that we might go and take it and enjoy it, the land of milk and honey. But again, when we look at him, what do we see? We see that he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We see a victorious king, the king of kings, the Lord of Lords, who sits on the throne of God. He defeated sin and death. He was able to conquer something in which we will never be able to conquer. He was able to achieve that all. And he is saying, go and take it because I have given it to you. Surely we can trust him that he has given to us. We do not have to depend on our own strength. Man, you can say, Joey, I'm weak, I'm frail, I'm unable to do this. This is not the, my ability. I, I just won't be able to do it. You are not able to, but he has. And we can trust him, for he will empower us with his spirit, which we will start speaking about next week. And he will give us the strength that we need to do and overcome those strong men, to overcome the fortified cities, to overcome the giants, because we have the king of kings who is victorious around us. And so I hope this is stirring up faith for you this morning. Have faith. Be joyful. God has called us to something great, and that is a wonderful honor and privilege that we have. And it's not dependent on you, it's dependent on him. And he's saying, Rich, let's go and take it. Take it is yours. Let's be Caleb's that go, yes, they're like bread to us. Let's go get it because Christ has given it to us. Let us pray. Lord, we are so grateful that you have called us to something big.
that you would look upon us as Sunny Ridge and you would go, this church here, this is what I've called you to. I pray, Lord, that as we look and fix our eyes on Jesus, that the things of the world would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. That, Lord, we would, we would be emboldened and encouraged that we would be joyful at the hope that we have in Christ, that we have this hope that is sure and true, that is able to go out into this world and bring light to dark spaces. I pray, Lord, that you would, you would help us to have this faith. May we be knitted tightly together. May you help many to be knitted in with us that aren't a part of this flock yet. May we reach the suburb for you. May we reach the surrounding suburbs for you. May we do all that you've called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. We need you, Lord. We need you. We need you. But we are here going. We want to be obedient. We are yours. In Jesus' name. Amen.